introduction after that, uh, you know, welcome of uh, attack on Wednesday night. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Somehow I got wrangled into not only doing the message this morning, uh, doing the discussion tonight, and now, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the post-review uh, on Wednesday night. No, no, I, I, we're not going to do that. But uh, anyways, I have, have to get David to come up with some hazardous duty pay or something. But uh, <laughs> that may be tougher than the message. <laughs> All right. So just a little bit of uh, let's, uh, let's read the passage and uh, make a few kind of introductory remarks before we, before we study it together. So uh, beginning in verse 1 of, of Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bond with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your, conversations, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, and not with meats which have not profited them and have been occupied therein, that have been occupied therein. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the direction and stability it applies or supplies for our lives. We thank you for uh, the provision you've made for our salvation and, and then the, uh, the guidance that you give us each day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so why, why this passage? Well, I guess over the last several months I've been kind of uh, struck with the... Uh, the, the change that's going on around about us in, uh, in many ways, um, the, the instability, I guess I would say, in, in some of the things we see in our society. Um, there's such a contrast between what the world uh, has to say and what, our, what God's Word has to say. And in, in many uh, ways, I feel like this, this is, is moving ahead very quickly. Um, I think it was back around Easter time, Drake uh, mentioned that there was a, a minister said that she would rather speak about the Easter bunny than the uh, resurrection of Christ. And when you hear these kind of things going on in even a church setting, I uh, feel like we're in, we're in dangerous times. And politically, we can see things that are, that are going on. There's uh, a lot of maneuvering to be on the right side of history. Uh, there's changes in who controls the White House. The, the, the uh, House of Representatives, the Senate, the Supreme Court, we've seen, you know, the, the impact of that in, in ways uh, just in this weekend. And then, but this, uh, this goes back and forth. Uh, as Drake mentioned, we saw the, the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Uh, and we're seeing the, uh, I guess, the reaction, very and sometimes hateful reactions that are showing up in social media and uh, advocating violence and things like that. I think uh, this, this is all, all things that are drawn back to what, where is our stability? Um, let's see. If we go on and, 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 and uh, looking at even the world and the nations around us, um, I was listening to a message that uh, S. Lewis Johnson preached on this passage some years back, and he was talking about the changes of the names of nations and this kind of thing. He talked about Zambia and some of these other countries. And in his time, this, he was preaching about how this used to be the USSR and now it's Russia. And now we're seeing almost uh, uh, an attempt to reverse that in, in our times. So we see a lot of change that goes on around us. Um, and we even see that this happens in, in the realm of God's people, in the church. Uh, we see in, in Revelation uh, where Ephesus has lost their first love. Uh, the other churches mentioned there. We see Demas has departed. Uh, we see doctrinal drift. You know, people are questioning the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, and we're, you know, denominations are debating about what, what 
what the word pastor means. I mean, there's a lot of strange things that are happening. So I think that draws us near, or draw, should draw us together as a, as a congregation, as a, as a group here, that we need to uh, hold fast to the word, hold fast to Christ. Uh, I think it, just rolling back a couple chapters from, from where we are here, it, um, it, it makes the admonition that's given to us in Hebrews 10 even, even more important. Starting at verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast, fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one, or let's consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. So I think this is a, this is a time when it is important that we uh, encourage each other, we uh, draw each other to the word, that we uh, help each other stand firm for what is true and what is right. Uh, we see the, the truth under attack in many ways, too, as, as part of this uh, assault that we, we observe around us. Now, there's, there are some positive things that are going around, that, uh, especially, even especially here at, at Terrell Bible Church that I'm encouraged by. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to get a, a Sunday school uh, class launched that uh, is focused on the Truth Project. And uh, I think what we, what we see in there is that there's, uh, Jesus had a, a concern for the truth even as he came uh, to be our Savior, uh, and, and we see that in John 18. Um, we'll, and I'm, look, I'm encouraged by uh, what I see in, in that material and in what is, uh, is going to help us to understand. Uh, what also kind of helped uh, reinforce this immutability of, of God is, is a few weeks ago, Mitzi was out of town, and, uh, and she had the she asked Cindy and I to fill in in Kids for Truth, which could have been a risky maneuver, but uh, <laughs> you know, the kids survived, and, and, uh, and you know, we, we, we made it. And uh, they had a, but of all things, I don't know if you're familiar with the Kids for Truth ministry, but it's a, it does a great job of taking and teaching some of these doctrinal truths and basic uh, beliefs and understandings about God at, at, a, at a level for children. Um, and a lot of the, the focus is about the attributes of God, you know, his uh, goodness, his greatness, his, uh, and we happened to, to land in sovereign uh, plan on, on the week where it talked about the immutability of God and how he doesn't change. And, uh, of course, to bring it to the kids' level, they, they have you bring in some things to, to, to help the kids see that change happens, right? You know, one was a banana that had been sitting around on our counter while we were away for a week or two, and, and uh, and then another banana that you just brought home from the grocery store. Some things change for the better, and some things change for the worse. That banana didn't look so great. Uh, there were clothes that, you know, you start out with a brand new pair of uh, jeans, and they look pretty decent, and then after you wear them for a while, uh, they don't look so good. Well, actually, then they put them on the rack and sell them as those ones with all the, the ripped out. <laughs> Okay, well, but in, in, in general, uh, the, the, the progression is that good. We've heard about the second law of thermodynamics and how things... Now, other things go a little better. Uh, there was a, the illustration of a cake mix. You know, I mean, uh, rarely have, I don't think I've ever seen anybody sit down and eat a box of, of cake mix, but, you know, when you bake them into cupcakes, they're, they're not too bad. Um, we talked about aging. We talked about other things. But some of the passages that were referenced in, during that lesson was, one of them was Malachi 3.6, where it says, For I am the Lord, and I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient of times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Numbers 23.19 said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? And hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And then finally, Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. So there were a sampling of verses that, uh, that show this unchanging nature of God and that he is capable of delivering what he says and bringing it about, bringing it to pass. So 
And then the last one that was mentioned is the one that we will, we will get ourselves to here eventually in, in Hebrews 3, 13, 8, where it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, in the, in the short period of time that you have with the kids and kids for truth, uh, there wasn't a lot of time to, to go into the context of the, of, of the verse like that. But I, I think today we can take some of that time. We can kind of understand the setting for the verse in Hebrews 13. And, uh, and we can hopefully gain, uh, gain some encouragement by what uh, we see the Lord revealing to us there. You know, I think uh, one of the, the, the tricks of the devil is to kind of cloud the issue, right? Um, you know, some of you might remember back to when, uh, you know, the, the instrument of choice for taking a picture was not your phone, but was a camera. Um, and... Uh, and you know, at some point, autofocus cameras became pretty common, and, and, and uh, you know, they are the rule of the day if, if you're using a, a camera that has a focusing ability. But you know, way back then, way back, they, they used to have a, a little line, and, and what you would do is you would look for a vertical line in the subject, and you would you know, you'd line up those, those vertical lines, and you could tell that things were in focus. I think what the devil's done is he removes a lot of those vertical lines. He keeps everything on the horizontal. You know, how people, re- well, this is wrong because look what it did to this person. It made, you know, made their situation very sad. So that means we should change what's right into, into what is, is wrong. Um, whereas if we keep the, the, uh, the God focus in things, I think uh, it's a lot easier to line up the, and, and keep things in the proper focus. So, I hope I think this passage will will help us help us do that. So, a little bit about about Hebrews. What uh, what what is this book of Hebrews? When was it written? Um, and uh, if we get a little bit of clue by looking in the in chapter two, and, and I promise I won't try to do like I did last time when we went into Ephesians and I tried to cover a lot of the whole book is getting myself to the, the subject, but we'll, we'll look at a few passages in Hebrews as we do this. And it says, how shall we escape or if we neglect so great a salvation, which has begun to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So the, the point of bringing up this verse is, this was a, a book that was written to second generation Christians. They're hearing the, the truth from a group that had heard the truth and seen Christ. And so that implies that it's you know, it, it's, a, it's some years after Christ was ministering. Uh, you know, so the guess is that it's probably after 50 A.D. if it's in that time. Uh, it was known by Clement of Rome in, in 95 A.D. Uh, so it's between those. And, then, uh, and there's no mention of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, even though there's a lot of mention of Judaic uh, temple worship and sacrifices. and scenes. So a lot of, a lot of the, the, the smart guys... Put the writing of the book around 64 to 68 A.D., somewhere in that time. Who was it written to? Well, if we look again at a few verses, Hebrews 3.1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we are made partakers of Christ. It's written to believers. It's written, written to Christians, people that have put their, their trust in Christ. Um, now, what kind of what kind of Christians? And uh, as we go on, it says, you know, the the, the book, the title is, is is would imply that it's written to Jewish believers. And there's other things that uh, that, that reinforce that. Uh, the, the mention of, like I say, much of the you know, Levitical system of worship and and sacrifice and priests and so forth is uh, again more evidence that it's written to the Jews. And then there's question: Will the Jews where the Jews? around Jerusalem or the Jews in another part of the, and the, the consensus there is it's probably written to Jews uh, in Europe, probably maybe suggested even in Rome. Uh, a couple reasons for that is, you know, the mention of the, uh, the Italy in, in, in Hebrews 13.22, there's a lot of use of the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, which uh, would be more widely used in, in, uh, in the European context than uh, in the uh, Judean context. And then also there's the uh, implication in Hebrews 6.10 that the, that the people here have the ability to help and have helped minister to needs in other places. The, uh, the, the Jews that lived uh, in the, the land of Israel weren't necessarily known for their wealth at the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, they were usually on the receiving end of, of um, 
of needs for financial ministry. We see that in other places in the scripture. So we have this book. It's written around uh, 65 AD to these Jewish believers. And it's written more like a, or it's almost like a sermon. You know, it talks about it being an exhortation. It misses some of the, the usual letter things that we see in the, uh, the epistles of the New Testament, the greeting and, you know, mention to people at the beginning. However, it wraps up as, as a letter. And, and, and so I guess it's more like, you know, like a sermon packaged into a letter. Um, why was it written? It was written as a, as a letter of exhortation, as we see. I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I've written a letter unto you in a few words. And so, and it's reinforcing several things. It's reinforcing the superior uh, nature of Christ as a person, as a priest, and his power. Um, and, you know, we've been studying in, in Sunday school about being in Christ. And I think it's, it's with Sinclair back there, and it's... it's uh, it's helping them to see that they're in that. Now, I think there was, a, there was a fear that these Jewish Christians were reverting back more into their nature, that they, uh, the Jewish background that they came from. The, uh, and I think that's why there's these, these mentions of the Levitical worship. Um, now, you know, in Galatians that, that Drake is teaching, you, there's a tendency there for legalism and, and things like that is another re- reversion of that. Uh, here, I think they were just afraid that they were just going back and becoming uh, a little bit um, uh, distracted from what uh, becoming more apostate than, than believing what Christ had done for them. So, uh, don't want that to happen, and, and so the letter is written. Now, who was it written by? The, 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 the consensus seems to be only God knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, so I'm not going to even speculate on that. I don't have any idea. Um, so looking at the beginning of the book, it says in, in Hebrews 1, verses 10 to 12, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hand. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. So right at the beginning of the book, we're going to see Christ in this enduring aspect, and that he is, is, is what endures. And um, we, we will see how that works through some of the challenges or some of the, the, uh, the admonitions that are given uh, to the uh, recipients of this book. And now kind of putting chapter 13 within the context of where it falls in the book is the book has already gone through and I'll, I'll borrow from uh, Dr. Ryrie's outline of this. He's, he says that the, the author lays out the superiority of the person of Christ in the first four chapters. He's superior to the prophets, to the angels, to Moses, and he's a superior object of faith. From there he goes on in chapters 5 to 10. He's, as a priest, he's superiorly, superiorly qualified He's from a superior order, the order of Melchizedek. He's superior in his priestly ministry. And then on into the, we see the superior power of Christ and the power of faith, the power of hope, the power of love. And that power of love is what's going to be kind of contained in chapter 13. Now, chapter 13 has, you know, some people saying, well, this is kind of different. It's not, it's kind of, does, you know, almost doesn't seem like it goes along with the rest. And, you know, the, you have the, the critics that want to say, ah, I don't, this was a different author, or maybe it doesn't belong here. And, you, know, you ever notice that some people, I think, just, I mean, we, we, we kind of joke at work, we, we sometimes hire auditors to, to look at our processes or look how we're doing things, and, and we figure out they're not happy unless they find something wrong, because that's how they justify their existence. I think there's some people that do biblical studies and academic circles that operate on a similar principle. That's a free opinion. You don't have to pay for that one. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going to they're gonna find something they think is wrong and make a deal about it, write books. and, and then, uh, But I, I don't think that's generally believed as, as the consensus. Um, you know, Alistair Begg says, he said, this is more like it's a, a final collection of exhortations. You know, I've written about this and I've written about that. And, and here's a few more things that let me catch before we, we finish up. Um, John MacArthur, he has a, a little different look at this. He says, um, he says, if you think about it, you've taken these people that 
grew up in a Jewish background, and they, their life was made up of rules. They had rules for what you could eat, rules for how you could eat, rules for, you know, everything, <laughs> basically. And, and now you've taken them and you told them, look, your sanctification, your salvation is not dependent on what you're doing. It's depending on Jesus Christ. And they're like, huh, well, what do we do? And so I think this brings back in that even though our salvation is dependent on Christ, even though it's Christ in us that makes the difference in our life, there are differences. And I think this, is, this chapter kind of captures some of those differences. Uh, we'll see that in the first few verses as, as we work our way up to, to verse 8. So, um, and what we'll see is, is that uh, this love that uh, is talked about, of love of Christ, it has an impact in a, uh, in a social setting and, and, and uh, how we deal with other people and then also in, uh, in how we operate spiritually. Uh, we've benefited from a sacrificial love and we're to, we're to love sacrificially. Uh, so, uh, there's also... Um, a way that we see that love in, in, in 1 John 3, it says, uh, Hereby we perceive the love of God that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brethren have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, and how dwelleth the love of God in him. And my little brethren, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth." Okay, so as we, as we launch into here, we, we start seeing uh, how uh, God wants us to uh, apply this, this love. And this is in the brotherly love. You know, we've all heard that, uh, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That's a, that's, this is the kind of love we're talking about. Okay, and so if we're reading that passage that we just did in 1 John, we see that this, is, this love is fueled by our understanding of the love that we've ever been the recipient of. You know, we all heard the parable of the, the servant that's been forgiven a huge debt, and then he goes out and he's trying to shake a few cents out of his, his fellow servant. And we all say, that's terrible. You know, and, and then, you know, then we think about ourselves and we think all that we've been forgiven of and yet how we can be ugly to some other people that have made, you know, have maybe done something that we didn't like. I think we, you know, we have to apply that, uh, and especially uh, as, as it's written here, is, is brotherly love to the people within the church, the fellow believers. We, we have to cut each other a little slack. I mean, it's, a, it's easy for us to find something that other people are doing that we don't like, and I think that's the that's key is sometimes we want to come to church and we want to just hang out with the people that are like us and do the things we like to do, and it's really not the the way that the church is meant to work. It talks about the church as a body. It's put together. There's people doing different things. And, and those things have to be joined together, though. We can't all be rattling around like a bunch of marbles in a shoebox. I mean, there's a, there's a blending that goes on that's, that's important to the life of the church. Um, but it requires divine help. You know, if we, uh, if we leave it to ourselves, yeah, well, we'll find something to be annoyed about. But uh, I think God can, God can bring us through this. Uh, Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. It means we may have to uh, give up what we want for what somebody else wants. Going on, it says, uh, Be not forgetful uh, to entertain strangers, that for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So this is a, this is I think I mentioned this maybe in a, in a different passage in probably Third John or something. Like that. The, the the idea of hospitalities was really a big deal in the in the New Testament times. It wasn't like you could choose you know you pull off on an exit and which of the five six hotels are you going to stay at. Uh, there there were no hotels of that nature. There were inns, but they were nasty and dirty and often of bad reputation. Places you didn't want to be. Um, so if the church wasn't taking care of their fellow believers as they, uh, as they were, you know, moving about perhaps for ministry purposes, they were, they were left in a bad way. Um, they, a lot of these, uh, ends were infested and diseased. And, and so, um, again, looking to, uh, S. Lewis Johnson collected some, some, uh, documents that talk about, um, 
how did the church behave during that time? And there's one that's uh, back in the second centuries, and it says the apostles uh, and the prophets were to be received of the Lord for one day, two days max. <laughs> Three days implied you were a false prophet. <laughs> but take nothing of bread along the way, or else you were a false prophet. So the, I guess the, the point was hospitality was required, but don't abuse it. You know, that was, I, th I thought it was interesting that they, they had some pretty strict guidelines for, you know, where you've gone over the edge. I mean, you, sometimes you have a guest stay at your house and you think, okay, I think it's time to move along. And uh, th th this document provided that. Um, so <laughs> my, my, my dad used to have a saying about that, about how, you know, one day to come and one day to visit and one day to move on. Or, <laughs> but I don't think, and I'm not saying that scripture reinforces this guideline. But um, So think about those. I mean, you remember Abraham entertaining the visitors in Mamre under the oak. And these, these visitors actually came and they, they brought a blessing. They bought truth, but he made food for them. He, he, uh, he was reaching out to them. And so some of the other, uh, the other documents that talk about some of the ways that the, the early church handled this. In the third century, Tertullian said, if there happens to be any in the mines or banished to the islands, oh, excuse me, this is actually moving on into the, the, the prisoners, um, in verse 3, says, he said that they are banished to the islands or shut up in prisons for nothing but their fidelity to the cause of Christ's church. Then they become nurslings of the, of the Christians. So in other words, we owe a, an obligation to take care of these. And again, prisons weren't quite the, the four-star accommodations of today. Um, no cable TV and, and, and all that. I mean, I, I think in, in general, you... You relied on people outside to bring you food and perhaps clothing and other things. Uh, it, it was it was a tough deal, and uh, but the church was was to step up. Uh, another uh, secular order said that that if they hear of one of their number that's imprisoned or in distress for the sake of Christ's name, they all render aid in his necessity, and if he can be redeemed, they. They set him free. In other words, they go pay the price to redeem him as a, uh, you know, whether that's a, a, a fee or a, a penalty or it's a, if it's just redeeming them as a slave. Uh, again, Origen says, not only was he at the side of the holy martyrs in their imprisonments until their final condemnation, but when they were led to death, he boldly accompanied them into danger. This, and then uh, there was an apostolic constitution that says if any Christian is condemned for Christ's sake to the minds by the ungodly do not overlook him but from the proceeds of your toil and sweat send them something to support himself and to reward the soldier of Christ all monies accruing from honest labor do you appoint in a portion to the redeeming of the saints ransoming of thereby as slaves and captives and prisoners and people who are sore abused and condemned by tyrants and it says some even sold themselves as slaves to redeem their fellow uh, believers that were, were uh, restrained. So I think it's a, it's a pretty stunning picture of, of, of the way we look out to those that are um, detained for their faith. And, you know, this, this may become more of a, a thing than it is now. I mean, as, as, we, as we look at what's going on around us and we look at the as George pointed out last week, you know, when we, if we don't love the world, there's this progression that's, that's going on where, okay, you know, maybe the view that used to be kind of the odd view out uh, becomes more popular and accepted. And, and then over time, if you hold to the truth, which was the old view, at some point you're uh, persona non grata. You're to be persecuted. You're the odd man out, and, and you're to be uh, punished, basically. And I think we're... We, aren't, we, may, we may see more of that than we've ever seen shortly. Um, so, moving on to the next verse that talks about marriage. Uh, it says, marriage is honorable and undefiled. God will judge immorality. Um, we kind of think of immorality as a, as a modern problem, right? You know, the 60s brought on all this progressive ideas about uh, sexuality and so forth. Um, well, not so much. Uh, back in, in, in 1721, there were undergraduates at, at Harvard debating about uh, what exactly constituted fornication. So, I mean, this has been an ongoing struggle. I mean, the Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, man has fallen. There's, uh, there's been problems 
for a long time. Um, and and off, you know, if you, what, what, is the, what is the debate about? It's to rationalize the kind of behavior that our flesh wants to pursue. And that's, uh, we see, we have a lot of help with that today. There's a lot of uh, things being promoted that are, that are trying to justify things that are not holy, that are not uh, pure, and uh, we need to, to not, uh, we need to stick with what's true by keeping ourselves immersed in the word. Um, going on, it says, uh, you think about it, a lot of this, a lot, a lot of our whole attitude on, on, on how we deal with like other people and, and other viewpoints is can, can be gone back to Genesis and creation and the fact that we're made in the image of God and, and so are these other people that may, we may disagree with. And, uh, but in the particular case of dealing with, with, with marriage and so forth, we can see that this is an institution that was established by God. He, he formed man in uh, Genesis 2-7, uh, breathed into him life. And uh, he said it wasn't good for man to be alone in verse 18. And he uh, caused a deep sleep and he created the woman. And, uh, and he goes on to say, Therefore this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave, and they shall become one flesh. And, you know, so God has established this institution, and he's also, uh, we see that, you know, failing to operate in God's way distorts the, the picture of the, the Christ in the church. You know, we see in Ephesians 5, where it talks about the, the husband and the wife, the, the husbands to love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of the word, that he might present itself a holy or a glorious church, sorry, uh, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy without blemish. And for this cause, back to the, the, the quote from Genesis 2, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to a wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery if I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this is one of the, I think, the things that kind of needs to weigh in our thinking is, you know, that our, our marriages are to be a picture of Christ in the church. And so not only is it an institution that has been established by God, but it's also an institution that's supposed to uh, be a picture of what Christ and the church's relationship is. Moving on, verse uh, verse 5. Hey, they took the clock off up here. I'm in, uh, this, this could be bad. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. I know you didn't probably didn't hear this going on, but after at the end of Sunday school, Drake leans over to Mark Countryman and says, "Mark, we're looking forward to hearing from you." And Mark says, "Well, we'll, we'll be out by eleven o'clock." And I, said, <laughs> and I say, "Yeah, there's a, a preacher that we used to sit under, and he he uh, he said that uh, yeah, we'll get out, we'll beat the uh, you know some of the other denominations to the the line at the cafeteria, but <laughs> so we, we we won't go too far down that road." Okay, so looking at verse five. Um, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So I guess the, the, we have no reason to be dissatisfied, I think is the, the point here. Um, our life should reflect that contentment um, and things should not interfere with our relationship with Jesus. Uh, Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. So money is one of the, the possible distractions. Um, one of the things that in the qualifications for a, a bishop says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, uh, should be blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, and not greedy of filthy lucre. I mean, I'm sure the modern, more, some of the more recent translations probably have a different way of wording that, but I mean, that one doesn't, you know, greedy of filthy lucre just kind of uh, grabs you in a certain way, at least it does me. Uh, but patient, no, not a brawler, not covetous. And Spurgeon says, covetousness is a deadly poison, destructive of all virtue. To be content with what we have should be especially easy to us because we have so much to be thankful for. The world is ours and the world's to come. Earth is our lodge and heaven our home. It ought to be easy for us to be contented since all things are ordered for our good. And 
what can you say but amen to that? I mean, we've, uh, we've been given everything we need. We've given, given more. We have much to look forward to. We shouldn't be an unhappy people, I mean, uh, or discontented people at least. We have the promise of being Christ for, with Christ forever, and he will never leave us. Um, and then when it talks about this in this last part of the verse where it says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. I guess Spurgeon had another message on that, which I, don't, I, didn't, uh, have the, I didn't study. It says, the, but the message is tiled, never, 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 never. I think, is that five? <laughs> there, are, there are, you know, and other, uh, other uh, things that I've read say there are basically, uh, in the original Greek, there are five negatives there. Now, I'm, you know, Drake, Drake can read the Greek. I can look through there and I can see lots of maize and ooze, which uh, I gather are negatives and super negatives, and I think there's five of them there. So the point is, this is something that God is really serious about. I mean, he's, he's making the case that you're not going to be left alone. You may face challenges, you may face hard times, but he's going to be with us. We can be content, and we can, we can be satisfied to know that uh, we're not going to be abandoned. And then that feeds into, uh, into some other things. Um, we think about this, is, is it a new thing? Is this something that just became uh, current in the New Testament? And, and the answer is no. If you look back to, to Jacob when he's fleeing after deceiving his father to get the birthright, okay, you know, Jacob is mm, really most upstanding character all the time. Not so much. Uh, should be kind of encouraging to us, I think. Um, but as we look in, in Genesis 28, down to about verse 15, it says, For I will never leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And he traces back through his, uh, his dream and, and the, the ladder and so forth and Abraham. But he's, God promises he's not going to leave Jacob alone. When Moses is, uh, is, is talking to Israel and uh, about to turn it over to Joshua and it says, the and the Lord, he is that doth go before us, and he will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Um, and then uh, it says also, there shall not be any man that's able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses. <clears throat> Excuse me, I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Then David talking to Solomon, he says in, in 1 Chronicles 28, 20, and David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of a good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God will be with thee and he will not fail thee nor forsake thee until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. So given all these promises, given all the assurances that we're not going to to be left alone, we, we should be able to come to verse 6, and, and this should give us this boldness that it talks about, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I won't fear what man shall do unto me. Um, now, Satan tries to attack this security, and I mean, we talked about that a little bit with this graying and bringing lack of focus on the truth. That's kind of rattles our, uh, our security sometimes, but uh, that's as we mentioned in Sunday school this morning, that's why we have to keep ourselves in the Word of God. If we spend all our time, you know, on the phone flipping through current news events or, you know, silly memes or whatever, I mean, not that some of them aren't funny, but, you know, we, we, can, we can become distracted. We can be uh, taken away from the, the truth that's going to carry us on. And so, um, you know, even, even in Satan's attack to man uh, in the garden. He says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree, any tree of the God, garden? Yes, um, he says, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Uh, so, we, you know, Satan kind of gets under there and then tries to pry away at the truth, right? Is that really what was said? Is that, is that really true? And, you know, we can go back and we can look and see all these evidences that, you know, throughout the scriptures. Uh, we could see evidences through our lives how God has taken care of us. But uh, be, beware, the attack will come. Um, so, however, in spite of that attack, we, we have a helper. 
the, the word that's used here for helper has the idea of one that runs when we cry. Um, so if, if, we, if we have a need, God's there to answer. And it's not like, you know, uh, you have to pay for the premium service where you get, you know, someone that's paying attention all the time as opposed to, uh, man, we'll get to it eventually, you know, when you call up the helpline and, you know, they tell you, you wait on hold for 20 minutes. Um, so God is, is with us. He's with us all the time. He's by our side. He's ready to respond as we have a cry, as we have a need. Um, and also, uh, we also see that God hasn't given us over to fear. Uh, First Timothy, or Second Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Um, and he tells us he, earlier in that chapter, he's going to put us in remembrance, and he's telling us that uh, be not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of his prisoners. So, you know, God's pulling all this together. He's, he doesn't expect us to be afraid. He's willing to help us through it, and um, he, he will be there. All right, now we get into the, the, the section where we, we have verse 8 in the middle. And uh, this is kind of in relationship to the, uh, the spiritual duties that we have ongoing and how the love of Christ is going to, to work in those spiritual duties. And the first one begins in verse 7 with kind of a look back. And it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Um, it's also translated, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and, the, and imitate their faith. So the idea is you're looking back. These are people that have already ministered to you the word of God, and you've seen how their life uh, was controlled by that, and you've seen the outcome of it. It's important to be able to, to see some examples like that. Um, not that we worship those examples or we blindly follow a man, but looking back and being able to see somebody that has ministered the word of God to you and, and that their, uh, their life is not a shambles and that uh, God has blessed them is a, is a great encouragement. And that's what's being encouraged here. Um, now, if you look down in verse 17... It's more looking at the present. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, and they may do it with joy and not the, with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So there's both, both aspects of it, but, the, but verse 7 is more looking back. Now, what that also reminds us of is that is, uh, is men that serve God, that minister the word to us their role is limited it's limited in time uh, over a period of time there'll be in a new person uh, maybe in like in my know my case there was one individual that was primarily involved in in bringing me to uh, salvation now my contact with him was limited over time we you know our world just didn't uh, overlap for that much um, and then there were others that came along and, and taught me the word and you know some of them were were older guys that uh, knew more, and some of them were younger guys that were studying and, and uh, had a lot, de dedicated a lot more of their life to understanding of God's Word that, that brought that. But the point is, this is, a, uh, this is a changing list of people over time. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's part of what Hebrews is talking about, you know, whereas Christ is this, is this priest that uh, his ministry is eternal, some of these other people had to offer offerings over and over again. And uh, we're, we're reminded of that. I mean, men serve until they're removed by death or by calling or, or whatever the case. You know, the high priest was eventually died and was replaced. In, uh, even though we don't, we don't follow the, the Roman Catholic belief, but the, the Pope changes from time to time, right? I mean, it's, and it's a big deal. Yeah, you're right. The, 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 you know, they got the cardinals voting, the smoke changing, and all this kind of stuff. Now, this is not extremely valuable information I'm going to provide to you, but you know, back in 1978 when I was just graduating from high school, there was a pope that was in for a few months, or maybe one month, September, I think. and so they had to uh, had to appoint another pope, and they had the whole smoke thing going and all this stuff, and well. I was also a freshman at Ohio State University at the time. This was, happened to be the, the time when, Ohio, when Woody Hayes decided he, he needed to you know, get into a boxing match with a player on the other team and punched him in the sideline, and they, they, they fired him. And so they had to 
had to put in, had to select a new football coach. Now, it turns out the campus newspaper, The Lantern, had a really good political cartoonist. So what does he do? He draws this picture of a reporter standing out there by the stadium, which happened to have the McCracken power plant in the background with smokestacks. <laughs> and he says, you know, we're waiting for the changing of the color of smoke signifying the, you know, the election of a new uh, head coach for Ohio State football. <laughs> That's worth exactly what you paid for it there. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, and by the way, I could find the picture online. But, <laughs> but so the point is, though, people have to be, you know, men that are serving in roles uh, are, are changing over time, um, whether that, you know, what, whatever that may be. And, and uh, the Pope is probably not the best example of that. But, um, but the good thing that... Uh, we remember is that we're, we remember those people that have done that stuff. We we don't forget what they've done. Um, we uh, we see what how that has worked out in their lives, and we imitate it. It's not a case where we're um, just say, "Oh yeah, well they they chose to live that way, but uh, I think I'll do something else." Um, no, I mean again, it's not a blind <clears throat> excuse me, not a blind following of. Uh, of that man, but it's a following of them as they follow Christ. Um, in Hebrews 6.12, there's a, a kind of a previously stated warning. It says, be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So we are, we are to, to look at, at how Christ works in the lives of others, and uh, that should be a guide and a, and a help for us as well. So, and then there's a warning looking forward. Now, this is, I'm going to skip over verse 8. We'll come back to it. In verse 9, they said, okay, you've had these leaders that have hung in there. They've stayed by the truth. They've ministered faithfully. But watch out. There can be change. Um, it says, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. So, the idea is that there will be those that, that are going to try to lead us astray and destroy our faith. And sometimes they're doing it for what they think is the right reason. Sometimes they're, they're purely motivated, motivated by evil. I think often they're just deceived. <clears throat> but, um, and we see that, excuse me, we can see that Paul was concerned about this and he gave us a he gave the church in Ephesus a warning about this as he was, as he was leaving them. <clears throat> in Acts 20, verses 28 to 32, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all that are sanctified. So Paul, Paul had spent three years teaching uh, these folks in Ephesus, and he was concerned. He says, I know there's going to be trouble come. And he says, I want you to be prepared, and I want you to be on the watch out, and I'm going to pray for you. And he says, I'm uh, going to commend you to God. I'm going to ask God to help you through this because this, this is something that's going to happen. I think it's not so much an if, it's a when. Um, and that's something that we, uh, we as leaders need to be aware of. We as people in the church need to be aware of is we have to be on the watch out. And uh, that, that there, and sometimes it's a really subtle thing. There'll be, you know, some minor thing that seems like, well, maybe this isn't such a big deal, but it starts starts pushing the, the bow of the ship in the wrong direction. And so uh, it's it's something to be looked out for. And uh, it, uh, it was said that the the church has been exposed to many attempts at innovation, various ph philosophical and theological new ideas. And uh, yet many are, are just another attempt by man to create a framework 
for their own self-justification and, and to excuse their sin. And that's what seems to be behind a lot of, uh, a lot of deviation is, well, you know, if we can justify this by changing this philosophy, then, you know, that gives me the ability to go do this thing that I really shouldn't be doing. Uh, that's, I think that's what we, one of the things we have to be watching out for. Um, so in order to avoid this, we need to be strengthened by grace, um, it says in the end of verse 10. Uh, the heart to be established with grace and not with meats. So uh, Ephesians 4, 13, 14 says, Till we all come in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, that we henceforward be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, and by the slight of man, the cunning craftiness, whereby they, they lie in wait to deceive. So it's that, uh, it's that unity of faith, that knowledge of the Son of God that uh, is going to preserve us in these times. Um, it's, you know, you're very vulnerable when you're first a Christian, right? And it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, you, all of a sudden all kinds of people show up sometimes when you first come to Christ, they're, they're going to help you. And uh, I, I became a Christian right before I went off to college. So I had very little time in a, in a church at home. I uh, got down to campus, and I mean, oh, yeah, you could find a study that would tell you about anything you wanted there. And uh, I, I stumbled into one that, um, like, this doesn't sound right. And no, it wasn't. It was a, a different uh, biblical interpretation that, fortunately, I went to one of those and, and found a, you know, over time, uh, God led me to a, a Bible study that would plug me into a church that taught the Bible, a Bible church much like, like this one. But... There's, there's a, a, a thing to be on the, the lookout for, but to let the grace of God work in us. And again, I think this, is a, this gets back to the, if we're in rebellion against what God is trying to do in our lives, uh, we expose ourselves to being deceived uh, by many of these things that are out there. And I think, I think that's what the writer of Hebrews was, was looking out for. And then uh, he was also saying, okay, there's even people that will say, you're going to be justified by these foods. You're going to, that's, the foods are going to be uh, what, what brings about your, your well-being. Uh, it, it doesn't really work too well. Uh, in Colossians, it says, let no man judge you in meat or drink in respect to a holy day or a new moon or a Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the body, of, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility or in worshiping of angels and intruding into those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up by fleshly mind. So it's just warning the people in Colossae that, look, you know, there's going to be all these, these uh, other people that say, hey, I have something new. Um, and there's a, there's a good question for, for tonight, I think, in, in discussion. This is a S. Lewis Johnson question. And in fact, there is nothing new in theology but that which is false. In the case of the Word of God, it stands as a standard by which we believe and live. True? We'll think about that tonight. But, um, okay, so now we've looked at the past, we looked at the warning for the future, and then we get down to the verse that we've been trying to get to for the last while. And a look at the always, a look at the eternal, a look at the, 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 the message that never changes. That's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The great news is we have an unchanging Lord, the, the same. Uh, this title, the same, was actually a name that uh, was referred to or used by someone in the early church or even in some of the, uh, even some secular circles, they would say, we've been spending time with the same. You know, uh, we went and prayed to the same. Uh, so this is a, an eternal, eternal title, I guess, if you will. Um, and then... Jesus, if we look at the, the, the portions that make up the name Jesus, it's Jehovah and, the, and saves and to save. Yet this name was assigned to him at birth. This is, this is interesting. You think about, well, yeah, Christ accomplished our salvation and his death on the cross. But this name was given to him at birth, right? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. It was a name that when he was 12 years old in the temple. It wasn't a name that changed. It was, he was 
the thing that was going to, Jehovah was going to use to save, right? Um, even if we look in Old Testament times, salvation was still brought about by faith, looking forward to what was going to be done. Now, did they have Jesus in their mind? Probably not. Um, but they, uh, they were trusting in a God that was going to provide a way of salvation, which he did through Jesus. Um, it's his name when he was walking on the waters, his name that John used uh, in referring to the risen Lord in Acts, uh, or, not, or in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, sorry, not in Acts. Then Jesus Christ, Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah. Um, the prophet, the priest, the kings, they're all anointed offices. Christ fulfilled those offices. He's a priest that could, you know, if you think about the, the, the role of the priest, even in, in New Testament times, uh, if someone had leprosy, they were, they were sent to the priest to identify it. Is this this? Yes, here's what you do. Jesus was that priest that could not only identify, he could heal it. He was a, a more powerful priest um, uh, than, than the human priest. And Jesus uh, says he went about the synagogue, or excuse me, went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He was also one that could make a once-for-all offering for sin. And it's covered uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, 24 to 26. It says, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, and now to appear in the presence of God, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have been suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So it wasn't a continual bringing of animals, slaying of the animals, sprinkling of the blood on the altar, so forth. When Christ sprinkled his blood on that heavenly mercy seat, it was done. I mean, even in his death, we hear that it is finished. Um, and so he's, he's a superior priest. He's, a, he's also a prophet that knows. I mean, there were prophets that had limited assignments throughout Scripture. You see that they may uh, tell about certain things that happened, whereas Christ had a, a much more broad knowledge. And then he's the king of kings. Uh, Philippians 2.10 says that the name of it, Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, things in heaven, things in the earth. Uh, oops, I think I added the tongue confess. Sorry about that. Uh, but he, he's, he's the king of kings. All uh, other kings are, are subject to him. Um, and and we, we see he has this, this eternal aspect. Yesterday, today, forever, he was there at creation. He says, who is like an image of the invisible God, firstborn of every creature. By him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him and he is before all things, and by, all, by him all things consist. And then in today, or you could think, this, is, this gets a little confusing when you think of, okay, today in terms of Hebrews 13 is, you know, it's like looking at your text messages and somebody says, we'll do this tomorrow. Well, is that tomorrow from yesterday or tomorrow from today? You know, this is, today in terms of Hebrews, it was, it was a time when the, the res, resurrection had already happened. Christ had already made the atonement. Uh, but we could think of that even today that he, he has atoned and, he's, and he intercedes for us today. He interceded for the, the, the Hebrew uh, Christians back then. It says, uh, who is he that condemneth? Is that Christ that died or rather he that is risen again is who's even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. So he's that interceding uh, office today. And then he will not change forever. He, uh, we see in in, in Revelation that uh, he, he will rule, he'll bring about uh, the eternal state that we will be in. So, back, going back to uh, the verses in the first chapter that we opened up with the Lord. In the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens and the works of thine hands, and they shall perish, but thou remainest. We have a Lord that remains. He's not changing. He's, we can rely on him as change goes on all around us. We don't need to be con concerned. I mean, we can be concerned, but it shouldn't shake our faith. Now, what we should be concerned about is if that is if Christ is not our Lord, if uh, if that 
blood that was spilt, that final atonement that was made, hasn't been applied in your life, then this, this is a, a concern because you don't have the security that's being talked about. You don't have the, the long-term stability that's only in Christ. So if you, if you haven't come to that point, if you would like to talk about that, we'd be happy to talk to you and, and help you uh, come to that understanding. But we, uh, we can rejoice today in that we do have this, this uh, everlasting yesterday, today, forever Lord. Uh, there, were, there was a song that I think was written about 130 years ago. It says, uh, A.B. Simpson, yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Um, and so it's a, it's a great hope, it's a great assurance, and it's a, uh, something that we can rejoice in today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth that we can see in your word. We thank you that your word just doesn't leave us floating around as bobbers on the, the water, but uh, it anchors us to the truth. Help us to, to not, uh, not take advantage of that. Help us to uh, tie into the, the, the solid foundation that you provided and to be uh, anchored into the truth. Thank you for Christ, for his work on the cross and his uh, interceding that he, he makes for us even today. Pray that you'd encourage us, you'd help us to be uh, gracious as we uh, represent Jesus to the world around us and uh, help us to not compromise the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.